everyone. Welcome to HubShots episode 305. Now we're going to call this the end of 23 HubSpot bumper episode because it's been a few weeks since we've had an episode. So Craig, here's what we're going to dive into. We're going to think about how we're going to prepare for 2024. We've got some quick shots, some things that we've noticed. We've got our marketing sales. We've got lots of sales tips and we have uh, training as well. Lots of training. I think the big thing is with this episode is... There is a lot to consume. You need to sign up to the show notes to make sure that you're getting all of this, but you can come back. So I'd recommend you to save it at the parts that you want to listen to and come back and implement some of that stuff. Some of them are quick, some of them are short, but let's head into it, Craig. Tell me what is our growth of the week as we prepare for 2024? All right. Preparing for a 2024 fast start. So as we record this, Ian, there's 16 days, business days until Christmas. So can you believe it? The race is on. So this year, I think many people, they're just going to make it through and then crash at the end of the year. It's People are running on empty and then they're going to have a big break. And then there's a bunch of other people that are like, no, we're working straight through. So which camp are you in? Are you ready for a rapid start or are you ready for a, a good rest? I can understand both. I think this is the first year we've had that I can remember where clients, some clients are saying, we're actually just going to work through. We'll take off the public holidays, but no one's taking a big break. We're powering on. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is it's a stark contrast to last year. Do you remember like last December? In Australia, at least, it was like people were checked out by early December. They're like, they were like, no, I'm out of here. Yeah. And then mid-January was the earliest you heard from them. You know, Correct. it went really dead. This year, total opposite. Everyone is powering through to the end of the year and some are just powering on. So this is the first year we'll actually, half of our team will be working through. Can't remember it happening. So that's a sign of the times. Why? I think two reasons. Increased competition, of course, and also a lot of opportunities around. There is more demand than there is supply in some sectors. Correct. Won't go into it in this episode, but I've got a whole separate video. We're talking about that. Some areas of IT, cybersecurity, all of that. Too much demand, can't keep up. But the second is the competition. And whilst AI, everyone talks about AI, it's almost a cliche, you can't deny it. Companies are focusing intently on this. How do we get rid of human capital, replace it with AI? How do we streamline processes? How do we reduce waste? This is a competitive time. So why do I mention all of this? I think most listeners will be aware of this. I think this is the decision you need to make. If you need to down tools and have a, a rest, I, like I feel some of us need to, then do so. But don't lazily just coast your way into 2024. You'll be left behind. You'll get to the end of January and before you know it, your competitors are a month ahead. And also, this is not the time to get lax around your marketing activities. So here's a quick tactical tip. The break is a good time to actually test increasing your paid ad spend. I'm really interested to see what it's going to be like this year, Ian, because most years everyone pauses their marketing ad spend over the break, especially in B2B, maybe obviously not in consumer. But we get really cheap clicks for a lot of our B2B clients over the break. I wonder if it'll be the same this year. Anyway, we're going to um, double ad spend as usual. The call to action there, test and measure. And I think finally, if you want to get a fast start to 2024, especially where HubSpot's concerned, feel free to book in an advisory session with Ian and me for early in the new year. We'll be around and looking forward to helping you out. So Ian, how do you feel? Like how has the year been for you? Well, to be honest, Craig, I've actually fitted in a few holidays, you probably know, and I think you have too, but I've actually been away intentionally. I'm about to go away again from a holiday that we booked back in 2020. So I'm looking forward to that. And I kind of guess it's had its, I've enjoyed the rest. I've enjoyed getting away, experiencing new things but I am not taking my foot off the pedal. Team is still working and we're still, we're gearing up for 2024. I know a lot of people we've spoken to have also said they're in preparation mode for 2024. Some people are tightening their belts. Some people have got looking at lots of opportunity and how do they take market share. So I think it's really interesting. We've discussed this over the year in the show is this these different market categories and segments that are having different characteristics and how they're dealing with it. So it's really fascinating. Even today, when I went to get some uh, toner for my printer, it was really interesting. 
talking to the guy who I've known for a while, part of the local business chamber. And he was like, I want to sell my business, but I'm not getting any bites. And I thought to myself, oh, that's really interesting. So yeah, it is it is interesting in terms of what people are doing. I think there are there are I talk to other clients who are trying to acquire businesses. There are some trying to get rid of them. So it is it is fascinating. And it's just understanding where people are in the industry and what's going on. But always well worth talking to people and understanding where they're at. So there you go. All right, straight on to why we're in thought of the week. I want to talk about automation very briefly. This is just a, a quick thought for listeners. Because I often see people embrace automation in their business to automate busy work. They see it as a way to scale busy work as opposed to impactful work. And this is just the takeaway. When you're looking at automation for for your business, I know it kind of sounds weird that I'm going to say this. It's like, of course, start with your current manual processes that provide impact. They're the two things. What's time consuming and what's provides impact? Shouldn't have to say that. And as you hear it, you go, oh, of course, you automate those. And we've got some examples we're going to go through in a second. What not to do, automate all the busy work. So what's busy work? Sending outreach emails that don't work. So they'll often go, oh, we're going to go into sales automation. And what does that mean? We're just going to spam people. And then they say, oh, automation doesn't work. Now, of course it doesn't work. Did it, did it work when it was a manual process? No. Then it's not going to work just magically by scaling it with automation. So what are some of the things to look at? What provide value and what's time consuming? Here's some things to consider. Anything that you can do to stop things falling through the cracks. So often that's internal notifications. Automation that just goes, oh, this contact hasn't been followed up in three days. This deal hasn't been acted on for a week. Okay, send an internal notification. That's automation in a way. It's actually just notifications. That stops things falling through the cracks. What else? Anything that reduces cognitive load. Oh, so you mean creating tasks automatically to remind me in a week's time to do something? Yeah. Does that mean it's out of your head? But yet there is something that will remind you? Great. Use tasks. So these are simple things. People often think automation for the business requires all these digital transformation of processes. No, it's just the simple things. Reduce cognitive load. Anything that qualifies work to be done, e.g. lead scoring or active lists based on engagement that then sends internal notification. See how we're talking a lot about internal stuff here? Yeah. That's really where processes and automation have impact and anything that might be based on a process status. For example, oh, this deal needs some kind of internal scoping or some kind of pre-sales work, great, create a ticket that does that and people work through it and then updates the deal when that's done, notifies people. It's all around notifications and getting processes, keeping them going. And the key thing here is, again, not just automating busy work. Half the time, we can accelerate the impact on a business just by going through their notification settings and say, turn that off, turn that off, turn that off, I'll keep that one on. Yeah. Right? Because what do people do? They come in, they turn on all the notifications. Of course, that's too many. It's overwhelming. It's annoying. They ignore them all. Or then they go and turn them all off. It's like, ah, okay, now you've lost. These are the simple things. So the next time you hear someone talking about automating their business, start with these manual and impactful processes avoid the annoying things like external email spam and automating that does that make sense Ian? it does Craig. Have I explained that well it, yes you did explain that well and i think i think you i love the one about the cognitive load because i don't think people are aware about the cognitive load on themselves when they're getting all these notifications. So one of the things Mm. that I did a few years ago, being a part of a mastermind, was to turn off all the notifications on my phone or to be very intentional about not getting those notifications or scheduling them, right? So I only look at it at particular times, but I don't have a constant binging on my phone happening. And therefore, I'm able to do work and I've just gotten used to knowing there are certain people I want to let notifications through if there's an emergency, like my family mm. and, and yourself. And then then there are others, I just go, I'll just do it, do it later this afternoon. I'll do it while I'm having my lunch. So just understanding even that can make a massive difference to your day. And I'll, and I'll just say one thing about the automation, right? I was talking to someone not so long ago and they said, this is where I want to get to. I want, I want to be able for the system to call, just get on the call and do my stuff, right? Thinking that they were already using all the tools only to discover after, after we couldn't do certain things, I said, so just show me what you're doing now. 
and they were doing the manual process, right? Mm. But they had this idea of Nirvana of the system being able to automate their whole workflow and process only to realize that you can't because it still takes us to do stuff. And I think just understanding that I was like, okay, well, let's just do this now to get some of this off your plate and then we'll go into the next steps. And I think just bite-sized chunks, that's the thing. What is that one thing that you can change today that will make a difference? So you don't have to chew off the whole process, just one thing. I think that's exactly right. And you've highlighted a good example. We've had clients who say, oh, look, we want to add automation to the business that when it goes from this deal stage to this deal stage, we want to automatically enroll them in a sequence that takes them through these three emails and follows them up and all of that. Like, oh, okay. Do you actually do that manually at the moment? No. Oh, do you do any follow-up at the moment? No. Oh, well, let's just get one thing going and then we can automate it. But you see what they've done? They've jumped into adding new stuff yes. that they're not even doing now. So they, they think that's what automation is. It has to Correct. be new stuff. And I think what you and I are saying is just start with the stuff that you're doing now that you know is impactful. That's right. Okay. Onto our quick shots of the month, should I call it, or the week? Oh, I know. So much to go through. <laughs> so much has happened. All right. So uh, what was the first one, Craig? We've been testing short form videos. So for listeners and viewers on YouTube and other channels, you may have noticed our kind of episodes have kind of gone to monthly. Not really by design. It's just life gets in the way. But we've been doing a lot of short form videos just when we have a quick 10 minutes here or things like that. They've been really successful. Instagram page has gone up. YouTube channel has doubled in yes. a month or so. So we've gone over 3,000 subscribers. We're like, oh, that's interesting. So short form's definitely there. And our Threads account, which we, I've just been kind of testing, doing, been, yeah, they're kind of taking off. So there's a real push around short form. Now, this shouldn't be news to anyone, but I think what we've also seen is that our YouTube longer form videos have dropped in views. We'll go through this in a future video, but I'm assuming that's because there's so many tools that summarize videos now. So if you've just got people talking like we are on YouTube, you're just going to say, oh, chat GPT, give me the summary of the." No one's going to sit through an hour mm. watching it. They're just going to go, oh, get an extension or a tool or something, just summarize it, give me the main points. There's a lesson in that for marketers in what the content you produce separately, but I guess our response has been, well, let's just try short form and it's definitely working. So there'll be more of that. And I'd like to say, Craig, is that on the on the flip side of that, I've also spoken to a few people who know us and who listen to the show and have missed mm-hmm. listening to the show. So that's one of the things we were talking about that is, is getting that on track in 2024 because I think it's understanding who is listening on a podcast player and mm. then who is actually using YouTube to listen to us or to watch us do things. So I think understanding the audience and how they're interacting on the channel is super important in this instance as we test and measure across different channels. So thank you to those who have actually reached out to us and said, hey, we missed you guys and we do appreciate it. So it has been good to hear yeah. from you. So we will get, we will be back on a regular schedule and that's really the learning from this. I think that as part of our test and measure, the pendulum swang too far one way and Correct. now we've got to bring it back. That's right. But more quick shots. There's been some interesting acquisitions, haven't there, Ian? Oh, yeah. So Atlassian has purchased Loom. That was a really interesting one and I'm glad that they did. But you know what? I was hoping all along that HubSpot would actually purchase Loom. Because we've been saying that for years. I wish HubSpot would buy Loom. That's yeah. right because it was it's a tool, I honestly – behind, let's say, email or other communication tools that we use, I actually think that that is the most used tool in our business. And I often tell people just the ability for us to quickly create content or reply to something that's complicated and people Mm. to visually see it has made a massive difference. So if you're not using Loom, you should go and actually start sign up and start using it because it will make a massive difference. So we document processes, we create videos that we then embed on uh, HubSpot dashboards for people to see. And and so that's how we do things. But it is one of those tools that is, I just don't know what we would do without it, to be honest. Agreed. And I'm so glad that I, I was relieved when Atlassian bought it because I was like, oh, I trust them Yes. Uh, with my data. So I trust Atlassian. I don't have privacy concerns. And second, I think they'll keep the product going. They won't um, mothball it. 
Okay. So I was pretty happy about that. Whereas if it had gone to some other, remember a company bought um, Evernote? Yes. And then basically drove it into the ground. I was like, oh, get all your data off. And when it was first announced, I was like, oh, should we go and download all our videos now? And get, no, nah, I'm pretty trusting. Exactly. Another acquisition, HubSpot purchased Clearbit. What do you think of this, Ian? Well, we kind of saw something like this happening, didn't we, Craig? <laughs> it was only a matter of time. And here it is. But it wasn't wasn't Clearbit that we were talking about. It was another service. But nonetheless, uh, over time, we have used Clearbit with customers and seen, and there's been integrations with HubSpot, generally mainly on the enterprise side. So often when uh, SMEs or small to medium businesses have tried to use it, they've struggled with the cost of it. And so they've Mm. just used some of the free tools that were with Clearbit. But now if this becomes well integrated, I think that that would make a big difference. So what do you think? I think it makes perfect sense. And I had a LinkedIn post a month or two before that announcement, just with how I thought it might work with, say, Apollo uh, instead of Clearbit. I wish I'd said Clearbit in that post. I would have looked prescient. (laughs) Craig, you can update (laughs) your post. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But I talked about, I thought Apollo might be the target, although probably cost too much. But- I really like it. It'd be interesting to see how they package this and yes. what the pricing will be. I, I'm assuming it'll be a paid extra at some levels yeah. for the data enrichment. I think it makes perfect sense. It's going to be good. It makes sense. It's work, right? Mm. All right. And then one final one that uh, is rolled out, since we're talking about automation in this episode a lot, is the undo and redo changes on workflows. And they call it the workflow canvas now, but... That's now available, which is nice to see. That is good, yep. All right, we're going to dive into our HubSpot marketing feature of the week. And this actually came from a conversation we had when a customer asked us, how do I figure out all of the non-marketing contacts that used to be marketing contacts? And so, again, we're going to come back to our building blocks, which are lists, and this is how we created it. So, really what you want to say is... A marketing contact status is any of non-marketing. So that's their status right now. And the marketing contact status has ever been any of marketing contacts. And that will give us a list of people who at one stage were marketing, but are now non-marketing. Now, obviously understand in that list, you will get people that have unsubscribed potentially. So you might want to say, you might want to add another condition to say, oh, tell me all the people who have unsubscribed so they don't appear on this list. So if you do want to reset them to marketing, you can. All right. And we've got links to LinkedIn and threads if you want to comment on that. Next quick tip, how to build a list of Zoom info contacts. That's right. And this is another one that a customer asked us. And why we're highlighting this is because data gets pushed in via the Zoom info info connector into HubSpot. And just understanding all the contacts that have come in, right? So again, we're building a list and we're creating uh, and we want to see and we look at the original source drill down to, which we've spoken to about before. Now, the catch here is it's not like, oh, I just want that to be Zoom Info. In HubSpot, in certain instances, there is an internal value. So you actually need to go and go to a contact record and hover over, you'll see a little eye, it'll give you an internal value. If you put that internal value, you will then get the list looking at people that have come in via Zoom Info. So in this particular instance, that's how you create the list of Zoom Info contacts. Now, if you're listening to this and couldn't quite follow it, get the show notes. We've got screenshots and we've also got a link where Ian goes through it on a video on YouTube. All right, on to our many HubSpot sales features. So here's the first one. Did you know, Craig, that you can add images to meetings, uh, calls, tasks inside the HubSpot app? I didn't realize you could do it in the app. And I didn't realize that either because we do use the app on and off. But I was actually having lunch with a friend of mine who introduced me to a future prospect. And I said, oh, look, here's the app. You know, he was saying, oh, I didn't realize it was an app. Uh, because I, we did a demo of HubSpot. And mm. I said, oh, okay, yeah, let's just log. And I actually logged a meeting with him and I saw the the that you can attach a picture and just the whole way of it works. And I'm going to create a video on this. I've actually recorded a video, which I'm going to post. Just to do that, it was so easy. And I, it kind of brought me back to people that are on the road for sales 
and they're visiting certain places or certain establishments and they want to kind of just take a stock of where they've been because it might help somebody that gets the contact. Let's say the office is in a particular location and it's really hard to find. They could actually take, mm. a, take a picture and say, you need to go here or take a picture in my example here of the pizza that we had at our, mm. at our meeting yesterday and stick it in there so you can remember it and then people can see that on the contact record. So, well, uh, mm. such a really nifty feature, but one that I was unaware of, let's put it that way. And that was a good pizza you looked that was a fantastic uh, you, you pizza. had last night. It looked great. So that was, you know, planning. That's Hubshot's planning session right there. Yeah. All right. What's next, Craig? My uh, quick sales tips regarding the LinkedIn sales navigator integration with HubSpot. And again, get the show notes for this. I've got a full rundown of whether it's worth it. But to put it in context, you need, you need one of the advanced tiers of LinkedIn navigator, which in Australia is currently about 180 bucks per month per user. You also need HubSpot Sales Pro or above. When you've got those two, you can connect the Sales Navigator into HubSpot. And I've got a screenshot of what it looks like in our portal. It'll give you a Sales Navigator pane on the right-hand side for a contact or company. And then you can connect there. You can send emails and you can basically do outbound, I'm going to say, to LinkedIn. Now, it won't pull back messages. So... In the show notes, I've talked about the pros and cons because this is useful if you're initiating conversations and you want to log them into HubSpot as activities, as you should be. Whereas often we've found companies, they, they're in Sales Navigator itself, making the connections and then recording what they're doing in a spreadsheet so that they can later report on it. Well, do all that in HubSpot. And I've got a video coming out about this in the next week or two where I walk through how we do it in our portal. But the cons are there's no flow back from Navigator in. So if someone replies to your email, that doesn't come back into HubSpot. You've actually got to go into Navigator. And so that's frustrating. And there's a few other things that are, it's kind of limited. Look, it's okay. It's not, a, it's not a no-brainer, must get it. It's okay. And it's expensive for what you're getting with Navigator anyway. But here's the thing. I think this is just the start. We're hoping, and HubSpot has murmured that they're working with LinkedIn to improve this connection. So what we're looking forward to seeing, hopefully, is if there's messages in Navigator that comes back and you'll see it in HubSpot, automatically getting logged into HubSpot. I'd love to see that. Hope that happens. And just general updates. I'd love to be able to trigger a notification in HubSpot that said, oh, that person that you requested the connection to has connected. Oh, great. Notification back in HubSpot. I'll send them another message so you can stay within HubSpot as much as possible. Anyway, is it worth it? For sales reps that are doing a lot of outreach and connecting on LinkedIn, I think it is. But if you're just a casual user and just uh, after a little bit of help, it's probably not worth your time. And here's a little tip, Craig. You'd see those little buttons just below your contact details mm. uh, and they're the default ones. You can rearrange those buttons. So if you're doing a lot of oh. stuff on LinkedIn, you can rearrange those buttons and put the log LinkedIn message, which we did in one of our trainings, have that button visible so you don't have to click, do two clicks. You can just oh, do wow. one where click. Oh, wow. Where do you set that? It's just on the more, Craig, just the last button on that left-hand pane. If you click more, you can rearrange the buttons and have the LinkedIn Excellent. message button show up there as opposed there we to go. the other ones. Oh, tip of the week right there. Thanks, Ian. So we just I did that for someone for one of our customers who log a lot of meetings because they visit customer sites and mm-hmm. just instead of them hitting doing two clicks and trying to log a meeting, they just did that, put that button in so you can log it, click it and log once. Nice one. All right. The next thing we're gonna do is um find I'm trying to understand people wanna see, well, tell me who created these contacts or which user created these contacts, right? So this is mainly for people that are manually adding contacts in or if they're being loaded in and how they're getting in. So did you know that there's actually a created by user ID on every contact, probably on every company too, and that tells you who it is. Now, this is similar to something we've talked about before where it has a little I symbol beside it, meaning that even though it shows your name or the person that created the contact, internally it's got a different value so you need to hover over that to find the internal value if you plan on building a list to figure out who has created those contacts and that's what you need to do otherwise you're going to get an empty list 
Nice. Let's keep going with the sales tips and now on to template performance. Did you know there was a template sales content analytics? I didn't know that, Craig, because I always struggled because I I knew I could get sales analytics on sequences, but not on templates until you showed and covered it for me the other day. And so I had to put Uh, it in the show notes. uh, Okay. When, when, When you say I showed you, what you mean is Tara showed me right, and then I showed you. (laughs) Anyway, it was hidden under a little button, but it is also in sales analytics. And so the two things here to understand, right? Just understanding how the template is performing. So that's just on an overall basis in terms of the sends, the open rate, the click rate, and the reply rate, right? So those are key things. And then the second one is delving further into a user and how they're using those templates and to see which one's performing. And the key thing is here is if people are not using sequences and they're using templates often is to understand which templates are working. And maybe people have got their own templates that we can't see because they're just using it themselves. And you go, hang on, that's working really well. So just opening up the conversation to say, hey, what is that template? And are we able to share it with the team so that we can all benefit from what you're doing? And this, this is what the sales analytics uncovers. It's like, how do we collectively become better by sharing things that are working? That's great. By the way, uh, for eagle-eyed viewers, uh, you can look at the problem with percentages. One of the ones in your screenshot, there was one send. Yes. That email was open 33 times, probably sitting in a, an Outlook inbox, getting triggered going through the inbox. Correct. And so that had a send to open rate of 33,000, oh, 100%, 3,300% open rate. Correct. <laughs> Just shows you the trap of percentages. Make sure you show the numbers as well. Exactly but right. It, it keeps going. Sequence sender score. What's this, Ian? And so this is a follow-on from that, talking to customers and trying to understand which sequences are working. This highlights to us, based on the person, which sequences are working, right? Now, you'll see in the in HubSpot, they have a sequence sender score. So it's good, fair, or there's nothing there because it doesn't have enough data. But really understanding here what is getting replies and which, and I guess bounces is the other really key metric that we're trying to um, understand is data good or bad if they're sending sequences, right? Mm -hmm. What was really interesting on this particular report that I discovered is that there were two people sending the exact same sequence, right? But getting massively different reply rates, So we were then able to delve in and go, okay, well, this person is sending what looked to be half the number of emails. So actually on this image here, I'll I'll just highlight to you which one it is. I think it is the second one on this image and the fourth one, right? So the sender score for the fourth one is not there yet, but you'll see a reply rate difference of 2% versus 11%, right? Sending the same sequence. Now, why is this important? Because we discovered the person who is getting the 11% reply rate was actually spending more time understanding the customer or the prospective customer and then personalizing the sequence to suit them, therefore getting a better response rate. Whereas the first person would just, you know, bulk and rolling people into a sequence without actually personalizing it for that customer's needs. And that's what it highlighted. So it's a really valuable tool to go, hang on, you just need to slow down and you need to do a bit more research and a bit more understanding of who the person is you're talking to and what their pain points are so you can get a better reply because that's the whole goal of the sequence. Yeah, I think that's right. These are really useful. The only thing I'd say, Ian, is we've got to be careful about percentages again because the numbers are pretty small. So 2% of 148... Well, 1% would be, what, 14. 10% would be 14, 1% is 1.4, so 2% is like three or four people. So that's that's small numbers, whereas 11% of 72, that's probably going to be about eight people, I'm guessing. Yeah. So there's still small numbers, but I think when they're that different, it's probably worth looking into, but I'd love to see these percentages when they get to, say, thousands being sent rather than hundreds. So really good report to look at, but also just keep in mind the trap of percentages. All right. What's our workflow feature that we're going to talk about in HubSpot? 
Nice. So you've got manually triggering SMSs to contacts. Exactly. So with this, we are using the Cinch Message Media Connector. And this came about because people wanted to, a customer wanted to trigger SMS prior to events and they wanted to do it to the people that have said they're coming. And and I guess as they, as they get close to the event, certain people reply and say, oh, I can't come and so on. So they wanted to manually trigger this. So we created a simple workflow that says um, the enrollment trigger is that they've got to load the list or individually select contacts. And then it just sends an SMS, right? And they use it constantly because they go in and edit the message and then they enroll people. But it's worked fantastically for these small events that they've been doing and they're able to continue to talk to people. So it's worked really well. And we have essentially created one for each person that's going to use it so that the people aren't overlapping. makes it easy because then they don't have to change certain settings. They can just go and edit the text message and then they can choose the people to enroll, which then sends it. Saves a massive amount of time, creates a really personalized experience. Everyone, uh, feedback from it has been that everyone's like, oh, thank you so much for the SMS reminding me. I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight. That's generally the response for people because people do get busy and an SMS really does help them stay on track. We've all received annoying SMS messages, which um, is easy to think, oh, SMS is annoying. No, it's relevance. So I'll happily get a relevant message. Exactly. Oh, got an appointment here. Don't forget. But when it's oh, this sale, <laughs> selling something, yeah, it's all about relevance. And SMS is a really nice, relevant way to cut through. All right, now we're going to talk about some CMS slash marketing features within HubSpot. And so the first one, Craig, what is it? Yeah, block-free email addresses. Now, why did we put this in CMS feature rather than marketing feature? Because the second one is around how to stop getting um, form submits from some locations or some countries. So you might think, oh, they're just marketing things. They're form settings. Yes, they are. But this came up because we've got a big corporate client, they've got a WordPress site, they're getting a lot of spam entries and they're getting a lot of those free, you know, Hotmails and Gmails. They've done the analysis, by the way. This was really interesting. They looked at by far the most email addresses they get are people signing up with the free email addresses. Yeah, like thousands and thousands. What they did is they did an analysis. Uh, We built some lists based on all the free email addresses. So we had a whole list of everyone that contacts with a free email address. Then we said, show me all the ones that had associated deals. And of those, show us the revenue. And the contribution to revenue from all these contacts was minuscule. It was like a few percent of revenue, which meant even though they were the predominant number of contacts coming in were majority free, they had very little impact on revenue. So what do they want to do? Oh, we want to block free email addresses on forms. We're like, oh, yeah, there's just a setting. You just turn that. Oh, no, it's a WordPress form. Okay. So now they're working with their agency to somehow get a list that they can put in whatever the form builder they're using in WordPress is to try and block all these different domains. And I was like, oh, you know, I didn't want to, <laughs> can't say the client, oh, you could have just done that because that's not helping them. But it's like to people listening, just remind that you, this is just a tick box. You just click on the email field in a form and you can say block free email address providers. It's that easy. Now, should you turn it on or not? Well, Test and measure. If you're a consumer brand or e-commerce, no, you probably want free email address. They're probably most of your customers. But if you're a B2B business, do that analysis. And then if it is just noise distracting your sales reps from doing the high value calls, then block them. Now, at that same field, you can put in your own domains to block. And so we've been building up our own list of all these domains that we block as well. I've got a link in the show notes to a knowledge base that includes the full list. We've got hundreds that we add. Like these are just people that have spammed us over the years. I've just been building this list. So you can copy and paste it and put it in your own. So that's the first feature, block free email addresses. Here's the second one. They're like, oh, we're getting a lot of people signing up in certain countries. So now they're working with their WordPress agency to come up with some geo-blocking plugin. That will sh- and I was like, oh, we just do this. Right. We've been doing this for years. We just switch out the form for some countries. And I've, again, screenshots in the show notes showing you how to do it. You just use a smart rule. 
With the smart rule, we have a rule that says if they're of some country, a certain list of countries, you know, there's Bangladesh and India and a few others, we just say, oh, switch it out. And then what do we do? We show a form that doesn't have an email address on it. Okay. So they try and submit the form. It just won't submit. Now, caveat is you need to have a setting in your portal that is you will not allow contacts to be created unless they have an email address. Most of our clients' portals have this turned off, so you don't. But if you're the kind of company that creates contacts from calls, you get a lot of calls coming in creating contacts, this isn't going to work for you because you will allow them. But anyway, and the results of that, well, you can see here over the last couple of years, we've blocked almost 770 contacts that would have otherwise just distracted us with contact us forms, spamming us from countries. One other caveat on this, we only block them at the contact us level. So if they want to sign up for a newsletter or download assets, fine. We've got a lot of listeners in India, right? You want to download the HubShots framework? Yeah, go for it. I'm not going to block that. But we just found that most, well, I don't think we've ever had a valid lead come in on a contact us page from India over all the years. So we just blocked it. There's a whole bunch of other countries as well. So you can set that yourself. You might say, oh, I've never got a valid lead from Australia. So I'll block Australia, whatever. Your mileage may vary. There you go. Two things. So that's just simple stuff to do in HubSpot. Why have I put this in the CMS feature of the week? Just because we've got a, a, a large enterprise client now that is spending a lot of time and money with their agency trying to implement this in, Hubs- in WordPress when we could just easily enable it in minutes in HubSpot. So that's why it's a CMS hub feature of the week. So just to recap that, if you also have Marketing Pro, you can also enable those features. All right, on to our Service Hub item, Craig. What is this? Tell us more about the last message from Visitor. Did you know this ticket property, last message from Visitor? That's the actual field or the property. What it does is it'll be true if the last message on a conversation was from a visitor. But if it's false, it's one of your agents. So it, was it internal or external? That's what this will do. So why do we? how do we use it? Well, we actually have it as a trigger on a ticket workflow. If someone has replied to a ticket, the client, it sends an internal notification. You might think, why do you need that? Why don't you just use it? Well, we just have backup people. The reason we did it is because often the ticket owner well, not often, but sometimes the ticket owner is away, say on holidays, and a message, it was closed, the ticket was closed and they came back, client replied. We just set, trigger an internal notification so that someone else picks it up. That's just the way we use it. I'm not saying that's a good user scenario, but the takeaway from this is the last message from visitor. That's actually a property you can use and maybe you'll use that in your ticket workflows. By the way, that was Tara that worked that one out, Ian. Another, another gem from Tara. All right, what is our HubSpot admin feature of the week? And we're talking about the HubSpot data model here. What does that show? Why would people actually even bother looking at their data model, Craig? It's a good overview. And by the way, you showed me this, Ian. I know. You told me about this. I was like, what? This is fantastic. I don't know how long it's been there, probably for ages. Anyway, I did a little video internally for the team and then I shared it on LinkedIn. I got a fair few likes as well. So check that out. I was... Uh, but anyway, I walk through what it is and it shows the overview of all the objects, how they relate to each other. Objects are things like contacts, companies, deals, activities, sales, emails, etc., tasks. What it does is it shows the relationship between each and very easily shows you at a high level how many records are in each. So you can get a quick snapshot of all the records that are in your HubSpot portal just by looking at the data model overview. And we did a video called the Data Model Overview. Overview. There you go. All right. On to our HubSpot app marketplace app. <laughs> it's the app marketplace app of the week. What is Which it, is, Craig? It's, it's, it's teamwork, right? <laughs> teamwork workflows app. So if you use teamwork, you've probably known they had a teamwork app marketplace thing for years. This isn't that. This is a brand new one called the teamwork workflows app. One you Add this, and it's free, but you need a teamwork. Um, if you're using teamwork, yeah, you'd be probably a paid user of teamwork, but the app itself is free. Pop that in. And what it means is from a workflow, you can actually trigger an action that will either create a task or a project in teamwork. So let me give you a use case where we use it. 
part of a deal stage is if a contact is qualified, a prospect is qualified, we trigger to create a task in teamwork. We just have a, an internal project uh, or tasks around um, logging time for sales activities. And then if the deal moves to closed one, we just trigger creating an entire teamwork project because then it gets handed over to delivery. We do delivery out of teamwork. This is really good. It's limited. I put a review of it on the app marketplace with some pros and cons, and I've actually listed them in the show notes as well. But definitely recommended if you have teamwork and you want to get that working with your workflows, this is the way to do it. Prior to this, we used to have Zapier Zaps doing this, which is kind of tedious. This has actually removed a whole bunch of Zapier malarkey for us. So I'm very happy about this. All right. On to our listener feedback of the week. And this is from Skylar. Skylar said, you cover the topics beyond the surface level and the documents you also provide are great for reflection. Thank you, Skylar, for that feedback. And listeners, if you don't know, you would probably, if you visit um, the website or you are subscribed, you would get uh, periodic NPS surveys or surveys on the website. And it is actually very interesting doing that and getting feedback from people. And thank you to those who actually fill that out because it really does help us. And we love hearing from you guys. So thank you. I want to shout out to Mark Binder. Yes. Who also gave us a review. We don't have it in the show notes this time, but there might be some in a future one because we had a really interesting backwards and forwards. We did. Conversation about enterprise software and how um, service and ticket products fit together and all kinds. It was really good. So shout out to Mark Binder and he gave us some great feedback. We'll include in a future show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for being a listener. All right, Craig, you've got your AI prompt of the week from Mid Journey. And so the listeners have a look at the image that is here. But also, they're up to version four of their Mid Journey prompts and inspiration guide, which is fantastic. I, like, it is such a good resource. So I recommend if you haven't actually downloaded it, go download it. There's no opt in required. So just do that. Okay, what's the thought of the week, Craig? Reading this book called Becoming an Authoritative Coach. So the thought of the week is around consultant versus coach. It's quite cool. I think I think Moby recommended this book and I saw him posting about it and I've, I've been reading it. It's, it's really good. But the difference between a coach and a consultant, I've got some screenshots from the book in there, but the consultant does all the thinking. The coach helps the client do the thinking. So, and there's a whole bunch of other helpful comparisons. But I was thinking not only for clients, but also for team members. And what I realized is for our business, we are consultants for our clients. Now, that's not all businesses. Some businesses are actually coaching for their clients, but we're consultants for our clients. However, the way I work with our team is as a coach. So whilst with clients, I might be, yep, I'll I'll do the thinking and get the solution for you and help you get to that. For the team, I shouldn't be jumping to give them the answers. I should be coaching them to grow, to work out how to get the answers. I thought that was very helpful for me and it just highlighted a bit of a um, blind spot I had. I think there's a bit of ego there as well. I like to, you know, solve the problem and be, you know, the one that – and I think I've got to get over that running a business um, with the team. We've got to train them and coach them to do that thinking themselves. And the other thing is because I work with a business coach – I now realize, oh, yeah, he's been doing that for me. I'm sure he must bite his tongue at times just wanting to tell me the answer, but he patiently works through with me so that I learn how to get to the solution myself, which is obviously a lot more impactful. So anyway, I just thought that might be useful to listeners as well. Yeah, and I think you shared that with me, uh, I think, on a Saturday a while back, and it was very impactful just understanding the difference between the two. So I recommend... For anybody who is a consultant and a coach, it's well worth reading the book. All right, on to our code of the week, Craig, from Nassim Nicholas Taleb. It says, invest in preparedness, not in a prediction. And I like that because thinking back of my lifetime at uh, Macquarie Bank, or Macquarie as it's called, I used to be involved in disaster recovery. I had no idea at the time what that was. But we would actually prepare plans about what would happen in a disaster, which buildings we would go to, where people would sit, what would happen, how would we bring up systems and how do we keep business running. And at the time I thought, oh, okay, this sounds overly complicated. But 
it made me realize and told me that that is exactly what this is talking about is be prepared as opposed to trying to predict something. And I think it's important in all of our business, right? So let's just take, for example, in our businesses, what happens if you lose your email? Do you know what you're going to do if email goes down? What happens if social goes down? How do you, what do you do then? What happens if you can't log into HubSpot? What do you do then? I think it's important for us to think about this and have backups in place. So a really simple one, I'll give you an example, is people are often reliant on the internet connection, right? So if you're on a fixed connection, do you actually have a data backup? So I know for a fact when people talk to me, they always say, oh, you can get a better deal somewhere else. But I know that it is critical because I often work from home to have a data connection with a with a backup, 4G backup, so that if anything does fail, I can still continue to do work. And I, that's the that's the simplest thing that you I could an example I can share with the users is just think of the things. What can go wrong? And what is my backup just in case I need to get through this? Because it is critical for us to stay connected to get stuff done. I think that's such a good reminder. You know the way I've been thinking about this is planning strategy for next year. Yes. So people are saying, oh, what do you think the economy is going to do? You know, how's the market going to look and where do you think things are going? I'm like, I've got no idea. But you know what? I don't care. What I'm doing is I'm preparing for this and I'm trying to take the approach of a rational optimist. So I'm not going to be pessimistic, but I'm not going to be overly optimistic. I'm going to be like, I think it's going to be tough. I have no idea, but you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Oh, how are you going to prepare? Well, we're going to focus on our sales pipeline, making sure that uh, we've got adequate sales opportunities. Oh, right. What else are you going to do? Oh, we're actually going to make sure we have processes in place so that the team can scale or they can manage. You know, that's being prepared. It's, it's not about predicting where the economy is going or mm-hmm. what, you know, what's the next fad or you know, what do you think is going to happen with the AI? I don't know, but I'll tell you how we're preparing. We're doing this. And so I think that's the takeaway because this is the time of year where everyone's predicting what's happening in 2024. Oh, I predict this and I predict that. I'm like, yeah, well, good Oh, It's interesting, perhaps not impactful. All right. What's our training, Craig? Uh, three quick trainings. You know, we were on a podcast with Oliver Lopez uh, back, I think, a month or so ago. Yes. It was a LinkedIn Live. We had a lot Correct. of fun. Uh, we've now just popped that up on our YouTube channel as well. So you can watch it there. It's a link in the show notes. And speaking of nice, useful YouTube things, uh, Carl Jepsen and a bunch of others, including Caleb King, they did a hug episode on familiarizing yourself with your HubSpot portal. So we've put a link to that. We've put the new link, by the way, because their first link, I think it got taken down for bullying. You know how YouTube has these automated messages? Yeah. Where if someone said, yeah, I've had this. We've had videos that we put up on YouTube and we might have made jokingly, like it's a recording of a call and we'll say, well, I won't do it because YouTube will take down this episode, but we'll make some offhand remark about someone else in the team. Yeah. Maybe it's a joke kind of way. Everyone on the call knows it's a joke. But YouTube listens for those kinds of things and flags it as bullying, right? Wow. Anyway, I don't know what it was, but something flagged that, the original, and it got taken out. Anyway, we've got the new link. Very much worth watching. Caleb King did a great job. And finally, if you have not downloaded the HubShots framework, I encourage you to do so. It has been updated and is being used Uh, across everything that we do and the more feedback we're getting from talking to people that are using it it's been really beneficial to them to just get a snapshot of where they're at and where they're heading and there are certain things we often say people want to get this nirvana of automation or attribution they they say oh i want to get attribution or i want to upgrade to enterprise so i can get all of this stuff but they're actually not putting in data to get the stuff so this really helps you get a clear visual of what's going on And then you can plan accordingly to go, okay, we're going to take these steps to get to here. One of the new things that we have included on our framework is, well, what are the three things we're going to work on broken down by by the year? So it can be really clear to people what's happening. So well worth you downloading that if you haven't already got it. And if you have got it, once you do get it, you will get notified of any updates that happen as time goes on. You know, I think it's... Quite popular. I think we've had more than a thousand people in. I was checking the numbers. It's pretty something like that. 
So a fair few people have downloaded it, and um, and we see people coming back and downloading it again as well. So anyway, take grab your copy, and there is a new yeah we're updating it, and there's a new version coming out in January as well. And finally, Craig, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone this year, including yourself and the team who have stepped up and done different things. Also to uh, podcast editor Chris and our teams respectively, because without them, a lot of this wouldn't happen. So a lot of people think, oh, it's just Craig and myself. Yes, we do do a lot of the work, but there is a lot of work that happens post us recording the show and us testing things out. So firstly, thank you to you. Thank you for keeping us on track. Thank you to challenging myself and and uh, being there when was needed. We've both gone through seasons this year where we've not been around or we've had to go and do things and you've stepped in stepped in the place of that. So thank you for that. And thank you for your friendship. And all the people that listen to the show, thank you for listening and making this a part of your your weekly routine at times and to those who become our friends. Thank you very much. We do appreciate it. I echo that. I really appreciate all the listener feedback we get and support. I thank you, Ian. And also just that you're happy to keep doing it each week when I just, I I just do it to hang out with Ian. I don't know if it's driving our businesses or anything, but uh, I thank you for that. I would also, I'm going to kind of call out some of the people on, on our team. So uh, especially Erica and Alan. Alan does all the video work. Yes. And that is very time consuming. Some of the stuff he's been doing lately looks fantastic. Well done, Alan. Thanks for that. Erica does uh, all the branding and then Audrey and Knowles has done the mid-journey guide. Pooja takes care of all the coordination of contact, uh, content being pushed out on different channels. I think Madeline puts the newsletter and all takes all our ramblings and the show notes doc and puts it into an email that is actually readable, gets it all out. And I think Kesha does some stuff in the background as well. So yeah, there's a bunch of people behind the scenes doing stuff to keep it all going. So I thank you. All. And who on your team? You might want to mention them by name. Uh, I've got a few people. We've got Paula, Honey, April, I think Elsinore maybe does some Elsinore graphic stuff as well. And Stephanie, yeah. yes. They all yeah. do they all do little bits that keep keep the things rolling along. Incremental compounding. That's right. Well, listeners, we hope you have a great end to twenty three and we look forward to being with you in twenty twenty four. Until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.